I'm Nick Andrews, a podcast producer in Philadelphia. My brother Chris is a contractor in Washington, D.C., and this is our show, Game Theory, where we talk about strategy, decision-making, policy, and history. In this episode, we'll be discussing the American game show that brought game theory to television. In the early 2000s, the Game Show Network launched its first ever game show to employ real-life game theory concepts to the mechanics of the game show. The idea was this. Two randos were paired up to answer questions against other teams of randos, but they had to work together throughout the trivia. However, at the end, they were separated and asked a simple question. That question employed real-life applications of the prisoner's dilemma. The show revealed the complexity of self-rationality, unconscious bias, and how much money it takes to lose those. That question, are you friend or foe? And welcome to episode five of Game Theory. Chris, it's kind of an interesting episode for us, as we mentioned in the open, because our father essentially made us watch game shows we would go outside we would play baseball or kickball or whatever in the street all day and then we would have dinner we'd go back out and play until like probably a little later than we should have and we'd come in there'd be ice cream and my dad would make us watch game shows it was whammy which was the remake of press your luck it was russian roulette and it was the show we're talking about today that's friend or foe friend or foe classic childhood memory for us uh that was right in the prime age when we should have been spending way more time outside not watching game shows but uh, that's just not the way we were raised no um, i think we were raised the right way he still does it today he's still watching uh family feud like religiously and jeopardy the added, the aaron Rodgers saga on jeopardy is one that he has documented on facebook for sure well and i i i think that one traumatized him <laughs> i i think aaron Rodgers might have driven him away from jeopardy but of course i think he'll be back for that one i mean he's just got too much of a taste for competition. Right. And Jeopardy is a straightforward game show. You answer the question or you answer the clue with the question, you get the money, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe you get more money, maybe you get less money, and then you get a chance to bet or whatever. But the game show we're having, we're discussing today is one that quite literally brought concepts of game theory to American television sets everywhere. And friend or foe is academically, you can see it all over the internet. We are not the first people to think of this. The show is based on something called The Prisoner's Dilemma, which is one of the pillars of game theory. Yeah, so Friend or Foe uh, breaks from games like Jeopardy and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire uh, because it combines kind of a basic knowledge of trivia with this game theory element. It's two kind of competing concepts merged into one uh, to make for a show that goes through trivia, it goes through calculation, uh, and it goes through some psychology as well as the players try to get to know each other after having no interaction prior to taping of the show. So let's get into how the game show works. So the prisoner's dilemma, we've talked about it in the past. The prisoner's dilemma is simple. Like, do you cooperate blindly or do you oppose everyone blindly? Is it good or is it bad? And the mathematics and the probability of what's better for you or what's worse than you. And we'll talk into the applications of that in friend or foe. But let's start with how do you make your money on friend or foe? Like, what is the purpose of the show? Like in Jeopardy, you answer clues. What, what happens in friend or foe? So in friend or foe, you want to be able to answer questions correctly to accumulate money. Uh, and then at a certain point in the show, depending on how well you and your partner do, you have to make a decision with them where you don't know what they're going to make, what, what decision they're going to make in the moment. Uh, but it comes down to how you decide to split the pot. Uh, the combination of your and your partner's 
choices to either cooperate or not cooperate, a.k.a. be friends or be foes, right. determines how the pot gets split uh, at the end of your time on the show. So uh, this is a description from the GameShowNetwork.com. Uh, this is uh, their summary of how the game works. Quote. So six strangers pair up at the beginning of the show and form three teams of two. Uh, the selection process for that is kind of interesting as three people on one side choose three people on the other side at random and they don't know how that process works so there's a little bit of judgment and kind of picking favorites right out of the gate oh good uh but then each team of two is separated into these isolation chambers and they play trivia there uh this, keep in mind this was in the early 2000s the show aired in 2002 and 2003 uh so they use terms like the isolation chambers are wired so that you can hear my voice uh groundbreaking stuff so once they're in the isolation chambers, the new teams have to work together and agree on answers to trivia questions. So they'll ask a question. The two people will try to make a decision. And if they agree on the correct answer, they get the dollar value at stake. If they get the wrong answer, they get nothing. And if they don't agree on the answer, they get nothing. And at the beginning of the first round, at least for the first season, each team starts with $200 in the bank. The first round has trivia questions worth $500 a piece, and they go through as many as they can, usually four or five uh, over the course of the time it takes to get to the first round's conclusion. Uh, then at the end of each round, three rounds total, the lowest scoring team is eliminated, but before they're dismissed, they enter the trust box, which make whatever kind of joke you want here. Uh, when they're in the trust box, that's when they make the decision on how to decide how to split the pot. Each player has one button that no one else can see except for them. When they enter the box, the division of their winnings is dependent on which button each player chooses. There are three possible outcomes. There's the friend-friend mutual cooperation option. If both players don't press the oppose button, the total winnings will be divided equally between the two. $5,000 in the pot, each get $2,500, simple. The second possible outcome is friend-foe. So if only one player presses the foe button, he or she walks away with the entire amount, and the other player gets absolutely nothing. And then the third option is where both players choose to oppose. They both press the foe button, and then nobody gets anything, and they all walk away empty-handed. Uh, more enriched for the experience, no doubt. So what, I remember watching the show and thinking to myself, you can, the, the interesting thing of the show is watching them as a team go through these, work out these, these puzzles and always like any team, if there's success, I've, I found, and I, I don't know if this is true, maybe we'll get into this in a minute, that if they, the more money they won and depending on how it went down, the more likely it was they would be friends. That was sort of my observation. The interesting thing, the reason to watch the show was to watch teams kind of deteriorate and then watch them fight each other for like $250 because they're just... They, they were so mad at the other teammate for getting the wrong answer, or arguing with them or whatever. It's like, well, if I'm, I don't care if you get anything. I, I, I don't care if I get anything as long as you don't get anything. It, was, it became a situation where the entertainment value was like, I, which guy is going to screw the other guy? That's going to be the funny part of this. And the dollar amounts, and this is a fascinating variable we'll talk about later, the dollar amounts were minuscule, essentially. So again, Jeopardy, Ken Jennings, and, and what's his name, are millionaires. Who wants to be a millionaire? They're millionaires. These are you know, 500 bucks, a thousand bucks, 2000 bucks. It's not enough that if someone screwed you, we want to kill them. You just be really mad. And I think that was part of the entertainment value of the show. 
Yeah, so uh, over the course of 76 episodes, uh, people calculated the average. Uh, on average, so that's at any one of the three rounds uh, and any one of the shows, the players are only competing for $3,335. Uh, of course, that was nearly 20 years ago, which feels gross to say. But even adjusted for inflation, that's less than $4,800. So uh, it's not exactly a high-stakes game. And, and I should also say that uh, this show is entertaining and really accessible kind of for the average person uh, because the questions themselves weren't like Jeopardy cali caliber questions. That's right. You, so, went, you recently went into this. I did, yeah. I, I, so I, I, I watched an episode of the show, which you can find them on YouTube if you just Google friend or foe and then try to make your way through the music video suggestions that pop up. You can find episodes of this show, uh, complete with commercials from the era. And, and we'll everything. get into why there's music videos in a moment. And we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, so in watching this show, uh, I took note of a couple of things. First and foremost, uh, people judge each other on really strange things, but I don't know what else they're supposed to judge each other on when they just met each other moments before taping began. They say things like, oh, you have an honest face, which I don't really know what that means. Um, and, you know, they're not going to air things like, oh, well, I didn't like you because of insert bigoted reason here. As a true crime podcast and serial killer documentary junkie, I would never trust someone on the value of their face. Never. Yeah, absolutely Literally not. ever. Well, I mean, Ted Bundy, man. Yeah, all of them. They're all like that. Like, he was a likable, normal dude. Like, mm, but he wasn't, though. Yeah, it makes you suspicious of likable people, really. Yeah, that's true. But the second thing I noticed was that the trivia questions were, uh, they, they were really pop culture heavy. Questions like, in the last decade, which of these people didn't host an awards show on television? Uh, one of my favorite questions was, according to the 2001 college slang dictionary, <laughs> which of these terms is the most common on college campuses rad well here so so that's another thing about the format of the trivia questions it's like who wants to be a millionaire you get four potential options yes. uh so the options here nick and see if you can get this right wait the let's put it around the show let's we're, we're, we're around the show here we go ready to go friend or foe according to the 2001 college slang dictionary which of these terms was the most common slang word used on college campuses in america was it fat tight rad or whack <sighs> 2001, uh, 2004, I would go with tight. I'm going to go with tight. tight. Tight, final answer. Correct. Yes. So That's you tight. just won $500 yeah. into the, your bank account. That's fat. It's fat $500. Yeah, so they're not asking about quantum mechanics. They're not asking about royalty. They're not asking about 19th century playwrights. Uh, really, really simple stuff. Really quick hitters, good for lightning rounds, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, and so as these players kind of build their bank accounts, you can see... The worst players get frustrated. Sometimes they don't agree a lot. One player thinks they know everything. The other player thinks they know everything. Kind of like this podcast, wrong. to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So it turns out those teams uh, do about the same as teams that do really well and make a lot of money because there's there's kind of a trade-off, right? On the one hand, if you do poorly, you don't have a lot of money at stake, but you want to get revenge on somebody because you think they screwed you out of cash. Right. So you're not going to cooperate with them. But then on the other hand, if you do really well, and you get a lot of money and an unusually large pot to split. You want to screw the other person. Like, oh, yeah, they'll trust me. We did so well together. This is the perfect time to take advantage of somebody. And so you don't cooperate. Right. So there are a lot of different reasons to think that people will or won't cooperate. Uh, and as I said, it's really 
kind of funny to listen to the, the rationalizations or like sales pitches that people use to try to get the other person to go with friends so they can go with foe right. or go with friends so that they can split the pot. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, sure. So we'll get into the game theory part of this, this is the prisoner's dilemma. For those of you that are uh, uh, economics nerds, you've already recognized this is clearly the prisoner's dilemma with cooperation and whatnot. But let's finish up talking about the show. My summary of this, this would be great. Honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, have you ever watched, uh, I don't know if you're, I, I do Snapchat and TikTok. If you ever watch like Snapchat stories, like I get news from Snapchats where there's like seven or eight Snapchats in a row. There's one called Tattoo Far where friends like tattoo things on each other. It's like probably nine minutes long, maybe less, maybe three. This would be great for that kind of format. If the questions are dumb, the people are average people, there's just enough money for you to care. Just enough money for you to care. Like this is a this is a weekend in Vegas essentially that we're going to screw each other out of, and then you get to see the decision. So it's really like you said, it's accessible, it's kind of fun and silly. Um, kind of want to get into the nuts and bolts of this. We mentioned your music video thing. There is a reason that music videos pop up with these old friend or foe videos, and that's because the host it's kind of strange. She's kind of famous now among certain people in the United States. Her name is her name in the show is Kennedy, but that was a stage name. It was like her middle name, I believe, right? Yep. So the host of the show for both seasons, uh, two seasons totaling 105 episodes, uh, according to wikipedia.com, it was Lisa Kennedy Montgomery. So I don't know how many of those uh, of this group of people we have in our audience, Nick, but the Fox Business Network aficionados among us will recognize that name as Kennedy from the host of the show, Kennedy. So (laughs) you just read the website? (laughs) Yeah, so, so so Lisa Lisa Kennedy Montgomery, uh, she's originally from Indianapolis, uh, went to UCLA. She's been a television personality and political commentator. In fact, according to the internet, uh, she's a libertarian political commentator. Uh, it also says that she was an MTV VJ, uh, which is a job description and not something else. So uh, now she's... Uh, making regular appearances as a host uh, and sometimes appearances on uh, other Fox Business Network uh, programs. But uh, she's on this show, and according to Fox Business Network's website, The Kennedy Show, hosted by Lisa Kennedy Montgomery, features sharp, eye-opening commentary on today's hottest issues. No topic is off-limits as Kennedy brings her unique perspective to politics, business, and culture. On one hand, this woman... She's a good host. Yeah. Uh, She was an excellent host for the show. Uh, She made some kind of off-color jokes in the episodes that I watched. Uh, Kind of fitting for the time. This was like post-9-11 America, and we were all very confused, but also still pretty well-to-do. She was also pretty sassy and openly talked smack about the competitors and made them... uh, seem really questionable another interesting thing about the show that i didn't mention at the very top when they're introducing the six contestants they'll say i'm johnny smithers and i'm from baltimore maryland i'm a computer scientist and i like rock climbing they'll cut to kennedy and she'll say well what johnny didn't tell you was that he fed his neighbor's dog glass just because he dug up his rose garden and so they'll give these really, really terrible Here descriptions goes Johnny. that people done. Yeah. So uh, they're trying to play on this whole, oh, is this person your friend or are they really your foe aspect of the show? Uh, and Kennedy is the perfect personality for trying to pull that off. She definitely has a future on Fox News and MTV, if you ask me, for sure. Oh, Which she has what a happened. career. She's had a full-blown career. 
yeah. doing this job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, she hosted a show, an elaborate show on a real life prisoner's limb, but then she also hosted Friend or Foe. So that is exactly you know, MTV and Fox Business News. Okay, so like that's the show. When we come back, we are going to talk about how this relates to game theory and some other things beyond just the prisoner's dilemma. The prisoner's dilemma is black and white, A or B, help or don't help. But like the prisoner's dilemma, like friend or phone, like real life, there's some other stuff thrown in there that's not so simple. All right, Chris. So we're talking about friend or foe, the game show, uh, episode five of Game Theory, of course, and... I want to get into what this actually is. This show is about, we're doing behavioral economics, we're doing choices, we're doing strategy, history, a bunch of other stuff. This is a really silly, funny example of, of the prisoner's dilemma, but the prisoner's dilemma is one of the pillars of game theory. We've mentioned it in the past, so uh, for anybody catching up, the prisoner's dilemma is simple. On blind faith, is it better to screw another person if it potentially helps you, or is it better to help that other person if it potentially helps you? Like, What do you stand to lose versus what do you stand to gain? Yeah, so we, we've mentioned the prisoner's dilemma on some episodes of Game Theory before. Uh, we've mentioned it several times here. So I think just for a quick refresher for people who might have forgotten about it or folks who've never heard about it, uh, let's discuss why exactly this scenario is called the prisoner's dilemma. So the situation is this. Two people have been arrested for suspicion of committing a crime, and they're separated into different interrogation rooms. The interrogation team tells each of them independently, if you give up information on the other person, in other words, if you don't cooperate with them, then you get a more lenient jail sentence than what you're going to get. But if it turns out you're lying, if you don't give up information on the other person and don't say, here's what happened, but the other person does give up information on you, then you get a harsh prison sentence and they get a more lenient sentence. If you both cooperate, though, if you both refuse to share information or if you both tell the same convincing lie, then you could potentially get let off scot-free and get out of prison. So the dilemma is this. Do I rat out my fellow prisoner and get the sentence I know I have coming to me? Or do I play the risky game, not cooperate, and have a 50-50 chance of either getting off scot-free or having a more harsh prison sentence? So truly a dilemma uh, in a binary yes-no do I, don't I scenario. So I believe there are some results on, on different things that happened in, in the show in terms of results. So what, off the top, did you find anything that was like in general, were people more likely to be friend or foe, just blanket from the top down? Did you find anything like that? So in the couple episodes I watched, no, uh, I did wonder if, what the numbers would look like over, uh, a certain period of time. So, I mean, I mentioned there's 105 episodes of the show uh, that ran over a, the course of a couple seasons. And within each show, there were three separate uh, examples of the prisoner's dilemma playing out where real people made a real decision to either cooperate or not cooperate. Uh, it seemed to me, just from the few select episodes that I was able to pick off of YouTube.com, that people who do better are less willing to cooperate and there's a lot more foe-on-foe -foe violence than there is friend-on-friend -friend cooperation. Uh, I actually found in the episodes that I watched, friend-to-friend uh, -friend cooperation took place more often between women uh, and more often when contestants didn't win as much money initially. So when they were in the first or second round of the show, as opposed to going all the way and going through the lightning round and maxing out their bank account. Uh, but those are just anecdotal trends. 
I haven't analyzed any data, uh, but it sounds like you know somebody who did. Yeah, so there's data, there's data out there. But first, before we get into the data, let's talk about why you would want to make a decision. Or do you want to get into the data right now? Or do you want to talk about like the mathematics of what you should do? We know I, the answer I, to I, well, okay. You know what? Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good point because I mean, we we haven't given an answer to the prisoner's dilemma, and we haven't given an answer to whether it's well. Better. Your observations. Let's get into your observations right now. Like your observation to me is interesting because you think if the amount of money is low enough, you're thinking I'd spend two hundred fifty bucks on that guy anyway. Screw it. But why should they do friend or foe? Yeah. So if you're trying to reason your way through this, if you're a mathematical calculating type person, you want to figure out what's the most optimum strategy for me to have going into this no matter what. Uh, let's assume a couple of things. Number one, let's assume that your adversary has a 50-50 likelihood of picking either friend or foe. Uh, let's also assume that you don't develop any kind of relationship that changes that in any way. Uh, it's always going to be 50-50 no matter what round of the show that you're in. No matter what you know about each other, no how much, no matter how much money you have in your bank account, it's always equally likely that your friend or foe will be truly a friend or foe. In that scenario, what you can do to try to determine the most optimum strategy going into those prisoners' dilemma rounds in the trust box, you can try to figure out how much value can I expect to take away from this reaction, from this interaction. Let's say. I choose friend. There are two possible outcomes then that are equally likely. Either I have a friend on the other end of the line, we split the pot 50-50, or I have a foe and I walk away with nothing. So let's say we have $2,000 in our bank account because of our early 2000s pop culture trivia knowledge. If I cooperate, and if my friend cooperates, the most I can get out of that interaction is $1,000. But if I don't cooperate, if I, if I cooperate and my foe is a foe, then I get nothing. So on average, if you were to play that scenario out over and over and over again, like tossing a coin, you can expect roughly to get $1,000 every time. Yeah. On average. Yep. On average. average. Yes. But let's say I don't cooperate. Let's say I go foe. Well, the two options there are nothing, which is the same as the low option for if I'm a friend. Or I can get the full pot. If there's a 50-50 likelihood there, on average, I'm going to get twice as much money as I would have gotten if I was a friend. So mathematically, the rational thing for me to do every single time, based on the expected value that I can get out of the situation, is to be a foe. It's never rational to be a friend. So then the question becomes, how do these interactions actually play out? And what are some of the factors at play when decisions diverge from the always rational foe on foe right, choice? Right, and we'll get into that in a second. I wanted to try to explain. I'm just now thinking of an analogy or a way to boil this down. We just did rock, paper, scissors. And I think it's, think about it like this and see if I get this right because you're the nerd and I'm the cool kid. So, um, not, not, I mean, that's just a statistical fact at this point. So, it's like rock, paper, scissors, right? Except in rock, paper, scissors, there's a third variable that's a tie. So you can win, lose, or draw. But in friend or foe, you can only win or lose. But there's also a situation if you pick friend, you can only tie or lose. So it's like playing rock, paper, scissors, but you're just playing rock, paper. 
under which circumstances either you, if you're going paper, either you both go paper and you tie or that guy goes rock and you win. Right. Yeah. And there's yeah, no ex- reason exactly. to go rock under any circumstances. It's better to tie and split it. Right. Or it's a tie and get nothing. Right. It's a tie. But if you, if that guy goes rock, you win. So it's better to throw paper every time under every single circumstance. It's better to get nothing. Well, well unless your opponent knows what, decision you're going to make right because if your opponent knows what you're going to do every time if they know you throw paper every time they'll throw scissors every time and just win right which is sort of fascinating because right now we're talking about this rationally and we're going to go through some numbers right now that i find really interesting because from a rational standpoint we just boiled down what you should do it didn't take it took seconds yeah it's it's the difference between on average do i get 50 percent of what i've won here today or do I get on average 25% of what I've won here today? Do I have to get an average of half of what I work for? No. The rational thing to do is to be the foe and maybe, maybe the person across from you will make the sucker's bet and try to cooperate. Right. So, in the, And now we're going to get into some interesting data. So there's data that was published in the Journal of Statistics Education. A link will be available in the show notes, of course, from Taylor and Francis online. David E. Callist from Shippensburg University, publishes 2017, which is good timing because things that he looked at specifically are what different characteristics of contestants may have impacted what decisions they made, particularly looked at age, gender, and race. And in 2017, this is really relevant data as we have conversations in the summer of 2020 about checking biases and, and systemic racism and what kind of racism people don't really recognize was happening, sexism and ageism, etc. And this is a good example of that because these might have been uh, inherent biases, maybe like silent biases, or maybe there were no biases at all. So let's look into the data of what he found. I'm just going to go over the bar graphs because uh, this is high-level academic stuff. And, of course, credit where credit is due. Mr. Callis is linked in the show notes. Please do all of that. And uh, if we need to take this down because of violated copyright law, I will do that, obviously. So let's talk about first, Chris, by sex. So the fascinating thing is that he broke down, is it more likely that a male or female cooperate just based on whether or not they are a male or female? Then he broke down, is it more likely that a male cooperates with a female, a female cooperates with a female, a male and male, and a female and female, right? So what's the most likely situation? Either uh, if, you're, if you're a guy, are you more likely to cooperate, or what, what's, your, what's your number? And in every scenario, based on age and race, or uh, sex and race, we find that for the most part, things are pretty close to 40 to 50% that they're going to cooperate, which to me is mind-boggling. That means that the, the inherent entertainment value of the show, which is convincing the other person that you're their friend or being someone's friend or being open to being convinced, worked. Because we can't be the only people that figured out, like, it's better to be foe, especially with the amount of money, which we'll talk about in a second. But it's, it's just better to be foe. So we're going to start with, uh, I kind of want to start with gender first. So males and females. Females are more likely to cooperate than males, so it's 46% to 44%. Men, 46, 44% of men cooperated with females. Uh, 43% of females cooperated with males. So in all gender scenarios, women are less likely to be friends with men, which for those of us uh, who are married to a woman, yep, that is not inaccurate, just for whatever reason. Um, then the most likely cooperation scenario of any uh, sex or race Scenario, the most cooperative situation by far is females cooperating with females. 50% of women cooperate with 50% of women, which is high. Yeah, That's yeah, it's, only it's time. pretty remarkable here uh, because whether a woman is going to cooperate 
is very strongly dependent on whether she's playing with another woman or with a guy. Uh, as you said, half the time, women will cooperate when they're playing with other women. That's that is the highest amount, uh, and that's yeah, that's that's mind-boggling. I mean, that that means fifty percent of women playing with women chose not to be rational. On average, men choose not to be rational forty-four point six percent of the time. It, it's it's amazing how often people choose to do irrational things for whatever reason, whether they think they have a trusting face or whether they are motivated by sex, age, uh, any any decision that that person makes, it's, it's amazing. Uh, but then, as you said, uh, women are only 43.8% likely to cooperate when they're playing with a man. So that's a difference of more than 6% likelihood uh, and that's a that's a pretty significant swing considering that we're dealing with numbers that are in the range of 43 to 46. And then, of course, there's a 50-50 with, uh, with women playing with other women. So um, in contrast to that, men are pretty consistent. Uh, it doesn't really matter. So when, when men are playing with women, they'll cooperate on average 44.5% of the time. And when they're playing with another man, they'll cooperate 0.3% more often. Uh, so that's a rounding error. I mean, that's a that's basically the same number, uh, and that that's just really fascinating to me. Uh, I don't know if you can take anything away from that uh, in the real world, uh, but certainly in this game, gender seems to play a significant role. Right. So yeah, it it does, and it's it's kind of interesting that all of these. They appear, uh, p-values and z-values appear to be statistically significant. I'm not going to dive too deep into that, so I just don't just want to rip off another person's research. You need to read it yourself. Um, but p-values and z-values have to do with replicatability and different modeling. And, and if you're a, a super nerd, it's really interesting stuff. But where I think it really does become a serious conversation is where we get into race, because the race data are actually kind of alarming to me uh, for a couple of reasons. So let's go into it. The first reason and the most important reason by far to talk about the race uh, statistics in this are that Unlike male and female, where we have data for male and female, 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 male, male, and female, male, uh, we also have data for those on all female teams or uh, just a blanket data on what a female will do and what a male will do. When we talk about uh, race, that's not the case. We only have four data points, not six. We only have what a black person is likely to do or, or statistically what has done, what a white person has done, what a white person has done with a black person, and what a white person has done with a white person. We are missing... Uh, black, white, and black, black data, because in the history of the show, there were only two times when there was a black, black showdown, which is not even worth discussing in terms of a data set while you compare, you know, the however 70 some episodes of the show. So there were not enough black people on the show for that to even be an analyzable statistic. In fact, I believe it was only 70 something teams, according to this paper, where there was a black, white team compared to like 300 times in which there was a white, white team, which is not quite statistically what I would think would be representative of Southern California, where I'm sure the show was shot. So that that's the bias that I think is the most alarming. And then we'll get into the decision biases here, Chris, but do you have any comments on, on the selection of the contestants? I mean, it was 2002. There's no excuses. You'd think it would be better in, in 2022, I'd hope. Well, yeah, and, and I don't know the process by which game shows do their selection. Certainly, this, I, I can't imagine it's like Jeopardy where they send in hard friend or foe questions for people to pass a test sure. and then test for uh, TV likability, I guess. Uh, I don't know what the selection process was like. 
I do know that the data that we're looking with um, didn't come from all 105 episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Kalis looked at 76 episodes, uh, 28 from season one and 48 from season two. Uh, like you said, these were coming from August 2002 to March 2003 air dates. Uh, and he said he observed 227 Prisoner's Dilemma games played by 454 contestants. Uh, you might notice that one of those is an odd number and the other one's an even number. He says, in a parenthetical, one Prisoner's Dilemma game was not observed due to a taping malfunction, which, so of that era. <laughs> uh, but you're right. I mean, the, the sample size for black contestants is too small to go into the kind of analysis that you can with the white contestants. Uh, because as you said, I mean, there were 78 uh, black contestants here and 74 of those uh, were paired with white contestants. So it's impossible to do the same kind of analysis there. Uh, but I'm a little bit more alarmed by the cooperation rate differences yes. along racial lines. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about that. So. Let's talk about white and black blanket cooperation rate percentages. So, um, again, we have 302, I believe, white contestants, 74 observations for black contestants. Um, Black people on the show, 38.5% cooperation rate, which is the lowest single demographic rate, um, but it's close, and we'll get into that in a second. White people, 47% cooperation rate. Uh, White people cooperating with white people, 48% cooperation rate, but the real alarming one is that White people's lowest cooperation rate was with black people, which was 40%, which is, from, from a racial standpoint, that's 9%, which appears, and I don't know what the, uh, the values are according to, to, the, to the paper, and again, I don't want to just straight plagiarize, but it appears like it's as high as more than 8% less likely to cooperate with a black person than with a white person for a white contestant, which is um, racist. Yeah, Period. so... The, the numbers for cooperation rates for broad demographics, regardless of who uh, they're paired against or whom they're paired against, uh, that's a measure of how likely a person is to be rational or irrational. So, as you said, the lowest demographic measurement that we have is, on balance, black contestants are the least likely to cooperate. But what that really means is, mathematically, black contestants are the most likely to do the rational thing. Correct. Uh, Regardless of the actual motivation of the actual contestants, uh, the cooperation rate, irrespective of partner, is a measure of rationality. And so, uh, on average, contestants on this show uh, were almost 9% more likely to be rational if they're black than white. Uh, But the difference in how trusting white contestants are if they're playing with another white contestant versus a black contestant really uh alarming and kind of upsetting and uh, it makes me want to not read too deeply into the data and keep in mind it's just a game show this is the early 2000s you know whatever the case is but it is it's sometimes i mean you and i get this quote all the time from was it owen wilson or morgan freeman in a really stupid movie the stupidest uh, movie says uh, the most poetic stuff yes big big bounce yeah terrible movie awful gross but in that movie where sometimes things are exactly as they appear and i it is the numbers don't lie. So the biggest, the, the alarming thing to me is that we have white people in general is forty seven percent, and white people cooperating with white people is forty eight percent. Okay, so where's the big statistical difference come from? Well, white people don't cooperate with black people. That's the number. 
That's why it's not 48 and 48. The reason it's 47 and 48, that percentage drop-off is they're not cooperating with black people. And we don't have enough data for... Well, we have... When it says black people cooperating, that is black on white. We don't have enough data for black on black to even to even look into any further or and by the way, Latino people in Southern California just straight up not considered in this in this in this analysis, which means I'm sure there were plenty of contestants, but not enough. And the show did not run for long enough. It's not like there are thousands of sample sizes here, but these data are interesting and they deserve to be studied. And remember, this paper was was published recently like four years ago, the show has been off the air for like 20 years. It was re-aired in 2008 lazily, which is when we were watching in 2002, maybe 2008. I don't remember, but um, this is something that is being studied now. And I think the, the prisoner's dilemma, um, it, the real prisoner's dilemma academically, what it leaves out is these people know each other. You know, there are things in the back of their mind. And now we look at friend or foe, like I can see the race and the gender of the person across me. And if, if that is authentic, my decision. And I, Consciously or unconsciously, we're talking about unconscious bias all summer and like systemic racism. And I think the show is a stark example of that in a hidden within a, a data set of game theory, which is why game theory is a fascinating thing to look at from a 30,000 foot view, because there's more to it than just a, a hypothetical uh, chalk on a chalkboard in a professor's auditorium. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think about game shows more generally. I don't know if it's a function of uh, the downturn in people subscribing to cable packages uh, or, or what the situation is. I mean, I haven't watched game show network content as such in years. I mean, if I'm looking for Jeopardy, I'm going to go to a streaming service and trying to find it. I mean, I, I, I don't really watch that kind of stuff anymore just because we watch it because it was on and it was entertaining and it was what the man of the house wanted to watch in the evenings. Uh, and I'm just not going out and looking about that kind of thing. I mean, I hadn't thought about it until we started discussing the prisoner's dilemma. And I remember, oh, yeah, there was that game show that did that. Uh, but it seems to me in the early 2000s, uh, it, it, might, it was a less kind of refined time for game shows, it seems to me. I mean, on the one hand, you got the millionaires and you got the Jeopardies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then there's also some kind of ugly content out there. I mean, uh, I don't think the racial biases were... Uh, a, visible or apparent to the audience on friend or foe. But when you look at the data, I mean, it looks like there's something there. Uh, but then there are other shows, uh, like for example, in 2007 on game show network, there was a show called without prejudice. Uh, it was very short lived. It was a few months on the game show network. Uh, it was hosted by psychotherapist, Dr. Robbie Ludwig. And, uh, the U.S. version of the show uh, was adapted from a British version of the show. Uh, but in the U.S., the show kind of gained notoriety. Uh, there's a viral video that's been on the Internet forever. Uh, because the premise of the show is that people basically have to judge others. And uh, they ask questions. There's a panel that asks questions of, a, uh, of somebody who may or may not win money. And they ask, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on issue X, Y, Z, whatever. And then the panel deliberates and they kind of decide who to give the money to. Uh, but there's this clip where when the panel is deliberating and they're talking about each individual candidate, uh, one panelist said he would eliminate another contestant based solely on the fact that he was black. Uh, he was sitting on the panel with another black panelist. It, it was just a this shocking moment of blatant bigotry. Uh, on behalf of uh, one of the people who's playing on this game show. And so I don't know if it was you know, emblematic of that period. 
Uh, there were also game shows like uh, Let's Ruin Each Other's Lives and uh, see if we're lying about it or not. You, know, you can watch marriages fall apart and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's you know it's just like any other slice of life in America. I mean, there are racial prejudices out there, and it's an ugly fact, but uh, the data seem to back it up. Yeah, for sure. And I think like the two big points are the the difference between how white people cooperate with white people and how there just aren't there were no. That's the other story. There's not enough black on black data, which is a casting issue, and that's racist as well. I mean, that's that's data. Like, they're not being data is one of the biggest prejudices we can we can, we can you know the biggest examples of prejudice we have in this country. That seems to be you know, par for the course. But again, I I like to think we're doing a small part by talking about that. But it's nothing. There's nothing I can't look at this and think, well, God, this is something that's inspiring. It's talking about game theory, which is what happens in the prisoner's dilemma. Uh, at the end of the day, when we're talking about what you're cooperate or not cooperate. You got to think that the rational thing to do is not cooperate and like maybe I get all of it, but maybe I get none of it. And like, why would I give any of mine to you? Um, that, and that's the rational thing. Mathematically, it makes a ton of sense. But uh, we're going to get into this later for precursors for future shows. There's something called the traveler's dilemma, and it's quite a bit more complicated in terms of moving parts. But the idea is that there's a threshold at which people will stop doing the rational things. They're like, you know, that's enough money for me to shut up. And in the prisoner's dilemma, what you don't see, the other thing, like the for, I guess, um, you know, the, the other element that's not in the, ch the chalkboard part of it is that snitches get stitches or they get got, you know. Like you don't cooperate at all. That's the, that's the variable. And you know that you know, from any sort of nomenclature or whatever, like that's taught to people and it's a joke and it's in songs and it's in movies. But it's true. Deny, 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 deny until you die. Don't talk to the cops. That solves the prisoner's dilemma immediately because you know the answer, which is shut up. And yeah, that's, what we so have here. That, that's one of the conditions about going into the prisoner's dilemma. I mean, that takes away our 50-50 likelihood scenario. Uh, so just because cooperate or not cooperating uh, is the rational thing doesn't mean it necessarily is or is not uh, the safe and prudent thing. Although, yeah, you're right. I mean, there are other social factors uh, that are at play here. And and so sh to give the game show a little bit more... Uh, uh, to, to I don't know if redeem is too strong a word. Yeah, uh, sure. But there are also other factors at play here that could determine whether candidates are, uh, or contestants rather, are more or less likely to want to cooperate. Uh, like, for example, I don't know how somebody would measure how trustworthy a person is. I mean, C.S. Lewis once said that everybody feels benevolent as long as nothing happens to be annoying him at the moment. I mean... <laughs> Most people would say, yeah, I'm a pretty trusting person, but if they're really up against it, if they're in an actual situation where like, oh, crap, the consequences of my actions are bearing down upon me, do I trust or not? Yep. You know, things are a little bit different in the heat of the moment. So uh, there are some hard to quantify elements of the game about how dynamics change between two players as they win money and what other unconscious but not describable uh, not demographics-based biases they're bringing into their decision-making. Yeah. Uh, the point is, what you said earlier, it wouldn't be entertaining if everybody did the rational thing. It would be right. an extremely boring show because nobody would win any money, and we would talk about really inane, dumb trivia questions, uh, and then we would just have Jeopardy with nobody making any money. Right. But, it would just be essentially like the questions would be dumb, and the purpose of, yeah. the, purpose of the show is to hoodwink your friend, or the person to go friend. That's the yeah. purpose. Yeah, so it's, it's less a game theory show and more of a pop psychology show in a lot of ways. And uh, there's a lot of fun there. I mean, I think people like thinking about interpersonal relationships. And uh, this is a situation where money, uh, trivia, prowess, and 
psychological prowess are on the line. I now that I think about it, I think my Snapchat idea is not a bad one. I would watch the shit out of this show. I Snapchat contend this show minutes. would have been more popular than HQ if it had been made in 2015. Yeah. I, I don't, you know what, more HQ, I think that's a good call. I think this show could come back in a big way. We just pointed out, like, there's some racial stuff. We could collect some data. We could watch some people try to lie to each other for $5,000. I would watch this show because I think this is, of all the game shows that I've ever seen, this is the only one that is worthy of being talked out on our show like this because it, this is a real-life behavioral economics thing. Jeopardy is like, you know it or you don't. You can buzz or you can't. I mean, that's, that's fun. It's a high level of, of knowledge and high level of twitch and your, your trigger finger. But this is, this is real shit that we're talking about right now. Yeah. And maybe one day we can inspire people to cooperate with us. And then when they're most vulnerable, <sighs> take advantage, steal all their money. Always throw a rock, Chris. Always throw a Always. rock. Always.